Welcome to the Church and Culture Podcast, a weekly discussion with Dr. James Emery White on the latest trends happening in culture and where and how the church should respond. Jim is the founding and senior pastor of Mecklenburg Community Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, president of Serious Times, a ministry devoted to exploring the intersection of faith and culture, former professor of theology and culture at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, where he also served as their fourth president, and the author of more than 20 books. I am your host, Alexis Dry, and I can't wait to dive into this week's conversation. Hey everybody, as always, thanks so much for tuning in. So there's been a recent trend, I'm sure you've noticed, occurring on TV these days, and I'm referring to these multiple exposés of Christian, or at least allegedly Christian, organizations and families and leaders. Um, most recently, you have the Shiny Happy People docuseries on Amazon Prime. That goes behind the scenes of the Duggar family and the Institute in Basic Life Principles, commonly referred to as the IBLP. And then there's also, gosh, the multiple documentaries and podcasts that have been devoted to Hillsong Church. Um, the most recent is the Secrets of Hillsong docuseries that's um, newly released on FX. Now, watching the trailers for both of these shows is tough in many ways. I mean, Christianity, I wouldn't say, um, has the greatest reputation with the media in terms of how it's traditionally portrayed, but it's certainly one thing to falsely characterize Christians and another thing to accurately expose deceit and corruption done by Christians. Now, Jim, you've seen Shiny Happy People, I know, and you've also been keeping up with all things related to Hillsong. So, um, for those who haven't, could you add a bit more um, than what I just said about those series um, that might be helpful to know about the Duggars and also Hillsong? Sure. Uh, it's interesting uh, that the titles of both of those series have the word secrets mm -hmm. in them. Uh, for the Duggars, it was shiny, happy people, family secrets, the Duggar family secrets. For Hillsong, it was the secrets of Hillsong. The idea was that both had these images that had been put forward in the public that uh, did not really reveal all that there was, that there really were secrets behind the supposed facade that was up front. Let's begin with Shiny Happy People and the Duggars. The Duggars became media sensations through a Discovery Channel reality TV series uh, on them and their uh, eventually 19 children. Uh, the portrayal was of a, a wholesome, loving, functional, though very large, family. Uh, the appeal or fascination was seeing this large family do everyday things like doing the laundry, doing chores, grocery shopping, uh, commuting, all while seemingly happy and unified. Ratings were not hurt by the family growing. Uh, it started off with 14 children, and then it went to 17 and counting, and then I think this last version was 19 and counting. Uh, uh, throughout, their Christian faith was front and center, and the series ran for around 10 seasons from uh, 2008 to around 2015 or 16. Uh, the docu-series from Amazon Prime was scathing, just scathing, uh, exposing not only the philosophy behind their family, which, as you mentioned, went back to Bill Gothard's Institute in Basic Life Principles, or IBLP, and uh, but also the fundamentalist authoritarianism, controlling, abusive mindset uh, behind it. Uh, along with this were several m other philosophies, the quiverful philosophy, the idea to have as many children as possible, largely in order to alter the trajectory of America by just outpopulating other viewpoints. It was termed, we're raising up the Joshua generation. A generation that would rise up and take positions of power and influence and turn America into a Christian nation. So you had Christian nationalism running through this. It also details the sexual abuse of uh, some of the children as well as other girls by the oldest of the 19, Josh Duggar, 
He's now in prison, having been convicted on child pornography charges. Uh, as for IBLP, it has been described by former members as uh, very cult-like. And the Duggars, though, were its poster child and its main way of recruiting people. If Tom Cruise was the face of Scientology and the gateway into Scientology for a lot of people, the Duggars were that for all things Bill Gothard. Gothard himself stepped down in 2014 and was forced down in 2014 due to several sexual harassment um, allegations from former female congregants and people within his organization. So, uh, yeah, as for Hillsong, the FX docuseries uh, charts the rise of Hillsong, specifically Hillsong, New York, although it talks about the, the wider movement as well, but Hillsong, New York and its pastor, Carl Lentz, in terms of size, power, influence, and celebrity. And by celebrity, I mean names attached to her, everybody from Justin Bieber to Selena Gomez. It shows effectively the, the cultural phenomenon that it was. Both of these shows were, I mean, both of these entities were cultural phenomenons, Duggars and Hillsong and Lentz. But over the course of, of 10 years or so, thousands and thousands of people became attenders um, at Hillsong New York as well as Hillsong Worldwide. I read one article that said that, that it's, it looked like a rock concert with a buff, tattooed, emotional pastor pacing the stage amid crescendoing worship songs and powerful words of prayer, with all the cool kids lined up outside uh, with ripped jeans and leather jackets. But behind the scenes was the abuse of power, the abuse of finances, sexual misconduct, and disregard for women and racial and ethnic minorities. And with Hillsong, it wasn't limited to just the New York campus, as I mentioned, and its pastor. Uh, its founder, Brian Houston, resigned in light of various moral and ethical issues and challenges and charges. Uh, a drunk driving arrest, uh, being seen leaving the motel room of a woman who was not his wife. He's in court over the issue of uh, the charge of covering up his father's abuse of young boys. Suffice it to say, one of the world's largest and most influential network of churches has found itself drowning in sexual and financial misconduct. Not to mention a culture within the church that both facilitated it and when confronted uh, is charged with attempting to cover it up. Uh, many churches have found themselves unable to use Hillsong music anymore, uh, as beloved as it may have been or is, because when they do, they are adding to the financial support of something uh, deemed corrupt and egregious lifestyles, lavish lifestyles and everything else. Um, I actually did a blog on whether church should use Hillsong music, and we can link to that. Uh, at MEC, we decided that we no longer, in good conscience, could. Now, it's interesting to highlight the fact that both of these docuseries were were secularly produced. And, and while it's difficult to watch them as Christians, it's also difficult to learn that both of these situations really spiraled out of control due in part to the fact that the churches or, or Christian leaders involved did not hold them accountable. And we've talked about in previous episodes, you know, the breakdown of internal accountability within churches. But can you talk a little bit more about this dynamic between secular and institutional accountability? It's a great question, and it's very important territory for uh, Christians to explore. Uh, as you and I have talked, Lex, offline, it, it's discouraging how so much of the accountability, uh, not just revelations through investigative reporting, but just accountability of Christians and Christian churches, Christian organizations, has come from secular media when we should have been self-policing. We should have been on this. We should have been dealing with this. Uh, and... Um, we should have been the ones crying foul, but instead we're the ones that are 
Uh, we were the ones lifting these people up. We were the ones putting them in their place. We were the ones putting these churches, these movements, these organizations into the limelight. We were the ones seeing red flags and turning a blind eye. In both of these cases, and so many more, there was simply almost zero accountability, no checks and balances, nothing internal that would have and should have stopped at least some of this in its tracks. And that still runs rampant. Uh, churches who have every employee sign non-disclosure agreements and every volunteer sign a non-disclosure agreement and churches that have no boards, no trustees or no membership input, no votes, no nothing. Uh, organizations that are almost entirely personality centered uh, or who look away from sin and misconduct because of success. We've seen this with Willow Creek and Bill Hybels. We've seen it with Robbie Zacharias and that apologetics ministry. We've seen it with Mark Driscoll and Mars Hill and Jerry Falwell and Liberty, Jerry Falwell Jr., I should say, and Liberty University. And through these shows, the Duggars and obviously Hillsong. And usually things are not policed because success, you know, no, nobody, you know, either they're, they totally misunderstand. It's kind of a combination. They totally misunderstand the scripture about bearing fruit, you know, judge people by their fruit. And so they see fruit. It's like, wow, look at all this stuff. The Duggars are having great ratings. So as long as having lots of crowds or whatever's happening, lots of records are being sold or look at enrollment or all of these things. But they they really misunderstand the fruit passage. And again, I did a blog on this too that we can link to, but I mean, they really misunderstand. What, what does it mean to judge someone by their fruit? And, and, and as if worldly success and numbers and metrics is a blanket stamp of approval on that person, church or ministry, despite how they are actually living or acting or treating people or character issues or integrity issues. Um, as if that's the fruit of the spirit, it's not. That's not the fruit of the spirit. Um, or because they're just afraid to do anything to the goose that's laying the golden egg. Mm. I mean, so many people I have in various organizations when said who, who had knowledge and said, well, why didn't you say something? Why didn't you go forward? They said, well, I just didn't want, it seemed like there was so much good happening and I didn't want to be the one to stop all the good that was happening. Mm. And of course it, that turned out to be um, deeply ironic because by not speaking out, uh, more harm is done to the kingdom than you could possibly imagine. Right. Now, I want to be fair. I want to try to be fair and say that, you know, there's always another side of the story. You know, the, the people chosen to be interviewed on these docuseries, the specific quotes that they use, the details that they chose to zoom in on. Of course, they all reflect the agenda of the producer. But, you know, based on what you have read in the news and that you've learned through your own personal connections to these stories and places, do you feel like when you were watching it that the stories were portrayed unfairly at any point? Um, I felt that shiny, happy people, the Amazon piece on the Duggars was the better of the two. Um, and here's why. I felt like the Hillsongs docuseries seemed oriented toward giving Carl Lentz uh, a public mea culpa. Mm. Just a just a kind of a my, an opportunity to say, oh, my bad. And in an almost sympathetic way. And I felt it downplayed those he hurt and abused, or at least the degree to which they were hurt and abused. As the series noted, he's very persuasive and he can come across sympathetic and that was present in full force with what they showed. Uh, and this was, this was the first time he surfaced and talked about all these allegations, by the way. And that's one of the, the angles of the, of the mm -hmm. series, but those actually hurt and abused by him have come forward subsequently in anger at how he was given the chance uh, to try and rewrite the narrative and make it all about him and the price he has paid 
or that his wife has paid or his family has paid. It was just a lot of Carl Lentz giving his, uh, I'm really sorry and woe is me for all that's happened to me since. Hmm. Uh, yes, it detailed the bad, but then it gave the floor to him to just kind of speak to it all, almost as if he should be the one pitied. He should be the one we should be feeling sorry for, for all he's had to go through since and all that he has lost hmm. from what he had. Uh, there was even an open letter expressing this concern from a former Hillsongs volunteer who also had been interviewed for this docu-series. And, to, and she wrote an open letter to the director of this after she'd seen it all done. And she was horrified and upset. And uh, we'll link to that in the show notes. Uh, but it was, uh, and I think this is the second time I've used this term, it was scathing. It, it really was. Uh, she felt his excuses for what he did and the, the pity he tried to elicit. Um, the overlook of the harm inflicted on others was just palpable, just awful. In the open letter to this to the director of the show, she noted that the people behind the docuseries, and I thought this was really interesting the way she put it. And when I read it, I resonated with it because I read her 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 response after I'd seen the the the, the docuseries. And she said the people behind the docuseries sympathized with those who were hurt but chose to empathize with Carl Lentz. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. It is. Uh, and I thought that was insightful. And again, it's how I felt as well after watching it. She went on to say, and, and again, let me just use her words because I would not be one to make this judgment. But she said, Carl Lentz was not a bad leader because he was a bad husband. He was a bad husband and leader because he was a bad person. Hmm. And that was not really explored in the series hmm. at all. Uh, much less the hundreds, if not thousands, who were so abused and hurt and mistreated by him and misled by him and Brian Houston and the entire Hillsong Enterprise. But the one on the Duggars, uh, wow, I'm, I'm still reeling from that. I think it was spot on in terms of what was revealed and what was uh, emphasized and where empathy and sympathy were placed. Mm -hmm. It really detailed the dysfunctional and even heretical teaching that infused their sense of family and the cover-ups and, and the blind eyes that were turned to things and the, the, the horrific abuse. I, I felt that it explored the victims and the trail of bodies behind it all. And it took apart many of Gothard's teachings and, and rightfully so. And, and unlike the Hillsong expose, which gave um, really the main perpetrator the floor to speak to it, shiny, happy people gave it to the victims hmm. and specifically Jill Duggar Dillard. Uh, one of the oldest of the children. And you saw how controlling and fear-based and emotionally and physically and sexually abusive the, the entire culture was. It just was not easy to watch, but it was an unflinching examination of what took place and the toll it took on people's lives. I think it's important for Christians to watch. I'll explain why uh, maybe later because of, maybe I can get into it later, but I, uh, and I'll, I'll try to, but um, um well, before you do, you know, it's interesting that we're comparing these two side by side because really at first glance, they don't seem to have anything in common with each other. Like you've got on one hand, this ultra conservative Duggar family with 19 children. And then you have, you know, these celebrity pastors talking about like tattooed, ripped jeans, kind of the, that whole that whole vibe. But when you were watching them or again, based on what you know, do you do you sense any common themes between the two of them? I did. I did. And I think this will allow me to get into what I was just thinking about. See if I can remember in my old age at the end. <laughs> but uh, yeah, as mentioned, uh, that sometimes uh, things get so successful. This is a commonality 
that people in powers around them feel it's, it's too big to fail. We can't let it fail. We, we've got to cover it up. We've got to, you know, push that one aside. We, we got to quiet this one down. As a result, they do everything they can to protect it from failure, particularly the principal personalities, uh, even cover-ups, lies, turning a blind eye to things. The fruit of something, as I mentioned, is often seen as what is most important. And if the supposed fruit is there, then there's a sense that the fruit is what matters most. And the fruit, you know, uh, bringer, you know, the, the fruit producer. This is what kept the behavior of, again, Bill Hybels and Rafi Zacharias and others for so long. I mean, this is a thing that, 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 that as, as all of this has unfolded, particularly through the use of social media and other things over the last several years with the, this, this round of scandals we kind of keep referring to that keeps adding. Uh, the thing that, um, one of the things that has really concerned me is people knew. And they knew for years, but they didn't want to hurt what they felt God was doing. And they also felt that the fruit of their ministries must mean that whatever they suspected or knew couldn't be significant or else why was God still showing up? But again, we now know that people knew, for example, about Bill's behavior or people knew about Ravi's behavior again for years. And that, that's, 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 that's so hard for me. Um, but another connection uh, between the two is one that is a little more subtle and could easily be missed. Um, Hillsong, they have a similar theology. That's, that's going to surprise people. If you know anything about these two, you're going to say, what, what do you mean? <laughs> How can they have a similar theology? You know, you, and I'll tell you, here's, here's, here was the connection that I, I, I found. Hillsong is known for being a charismatic church, teaching a health and wealth gospel known as prosperity theology. We've talked about that here and in, in, in previous podcasts. So did Gothard, but in a, just a different twist. His thing was follow his principles for family. You'll have perfect kids and you'll have success. Disobedience opens you up to Satan. You get outside of this authority structure and all kinds of bad stuff will happen. Stay under my umbrella of authority. Do things the way I'm saying do it for family and everything will be good. You'll be protected from Satan and your kids will be perfect and your family will be perfect. So if Hillsongs gave a charismatic tinged prosperity gospel, Gothard gave a family-based fundamentalist tinged approach to prosperity gospel. Hmm. So I think, but I thought they were very similar in that way. Yeah. And here's, here's the last commonality. Um, and here's where I'll get into some stuff about why I think Christians should watch this painful though it might be, because I think it's also going to be helpful for, which hopefully we'll get into as well, just what the world is seeing about this and feeling about this as they're watching it. Because there's going to be two big reactions. You're going to have the reaction of Christians watching this, the reaction of non-Christians watching this and make no mistake Right now, this Duggar series, Shiny Happy People, um, every time I logged on to watch another episode, it was either number one or number two on Amazon. Mm. Number one or number two. I mean, it's like blowing everything else out. Most watched on uh, television in the United States. Mm. So that's why it's culturally important to, um, to watch it. Um, but here, here's, here was the last thing that I, I want to talk about. I, I felt like the, the, the Duggar people... And even initially Hillsong people, I would say this true of the Mars Hill expose that Christianity did a series of podcasts on with Mark Driscoll. There's so many of these things, even the early days of Willow Creek and such, like they were doing, they were, a lot of what they were saying and doing was right. A lot of what they were saying and doing was not, was accurate. But there, there came a point where it went beyond the boundaries. It went beyond what was appropriate. It, it went into toxic, abusive, dysfunctional territory. 
and 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 I and I and, and this is where I would really want to encourage Christians watch it so that because 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 you, you're going to want to people are going to watch this and just be revolted about everything. I mean, if they they'll hear the word homeschooling the rest of their life, love a knee jerk reaction, want to run to the hills. Mm-hmm. Uh, they'll hear parental authority. They'll hear words discipline. They'll hear about Matthew eighteen. They'll hear about the importance of service for children. They'll hear all this stuff. And, and they'll just, you know, anything related to corporal punishment, and they'll just go, oh, my gosh, and they'll just feed it with all this Duggar stuff. And and what, what the Duggars did was they, they took some things that I would teach. I think I, I believe in parental authority and, and I, I, I over a child. I, I believe in discipline. I believe that that church community is hammered out in large part on Matthew 18. I, I believe in the importance of putting a towel over your arm and serving and, and teaching that in your children. We've, we've talked about homeschooling, mm-hmm. but I mean, they just, it's like, what if, like, what if Satan got hold of all of those and made them toxic, disfun- dysfunctional, abusive, and, 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 and just evil? Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's what you have here. Mm-hmm. And that's why I say, you know, it's like that, that my, one of my fears is that people are going to just take the, the toxic stuff with a lot of these scenarios and read it back into the healthy expression of it and, and, and put the healthy expression of it under a bad light mm. and, and a, and a light of suspicion. Mm-hmm. And that really, that really is a great concern of mine mm. because I felt, I mean, um, my, you know, I've talked about this to several people when you're listening to Mars Hill, you're thinking, you know, well, part of what they're, they're saying is right. But then they just made it so distorted and awful in its application or taking it so far and making it toxic. So now it's like, well, gosh, if I do anything to tar- target men, that's suspect. Or if I do anything that lets a leader lead, that's suspect. Or if there's anything where you really focus on the unchurched or have rapid growth or, or anything like that, it's just wrong, wrong, wrong. Just like with the Duggars. If there's if you tell two people to try to work it out initially with Matthew 18, well, the way they did it out was atrocious. I mean, what, the, what they were doing with that was just awful. It's like... Um, you know, like you never say like someone, a man could rape a young girl and the young girl, you know, obviously couldn't say anything about it because that would be a violation of Matthew 18 and had to go and somehow try to reconcile with a, a, a pedophile. I mean, that's just insane. Mm-hmm. That's not at all what Matthew 18 is about mm-hmm. or, or, or with discipline, you know, maybe, the, you know, where it says, you know, if there's any use of corporal punishment, I know I'm on a rant, but let me get it out. But <laughs> Like like putting a, a baby, a 14-month, 12-month baby on a blanket and then putting like a toy or a piece of candy or something that would be attractive to that child just outside of its reach. And then every time that child naturally reaches for it, mm-hmm. you know, you, you slap them, you hit them with a rod, you do something. And, and the whole goal is to break that child's, break that child's spirit. 14 months old, mm-hmm. that's child abuse. That's insane. And on and on and on it goes. And these kids were getting spanked 10, 12, 14 times a day. And, and, and there was one scene where a little boy was taken up on stage and a guy was demonstrating how to spank and over what. And at the end, you know, he said, okay, now give me a hug after he just spanked the child. And then the boy hugged him. And then he said, okay, I don't think that was a sincere enough hug. So now I'm going to spank you again. Just, this is just, this is just, I, I, I you know, you just want to pick up the phone and call the police. Right. And, and it's just, I could go on and on and on with examples that people have seen this, know about, and they, they're outraged. They should be outraged. But understand, understand, this is a distortion of the evil one. Mm. 
Take something that maybe at, at its base or its kernel of truth, it, it may be something that is biblical, something that is right, something that is an appropriate place with either in Christian community or parenting, and then let's distort it. Let's warp it. Let's make it evil. Let's make it toxic. Let's make it abusive. Let's take it over here. And then once you have taken it over there and, and, and then expose it, and rightfully so, expose it, but then let's see if we can get it all to come back and be how we look at it all, even in a good, pure sight. It's kind of like, instead of, we talked about how the church should have done this. Inst- think of an, a, of an appendectomy or an appendix. Uh, um, you know, if you get in there and you get rid of that appendix quickly before it bursts, you save a life and you contain all that tox- toxic uh, material. If you don't and it bursts, it infects the whole body. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I, I, yeah, I'll stop. Well, I want you to keep going, actually, because you said something that reminded me, actually, of something that we had talked about when we were um, um, talking about if we're going to uh, do choose this topic as our next conversation. And you had mentioned when you were comparing them, you kept saying like that both of them had in common this cultish behavior. And I thought of that because you were saying how, you know, in both situations, at first, they both entities seem to be doing things right and in, in, in right in terms with scripture, in terms of scripture. And then at some point... They, 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 they went afield and, but they'd already amassed such a following that at that point, it's really difficult to get off the, to get off the bus when you're already invested so much. And so it made me think about what you were talking about with, that seems to be how a lot of cults work as well. You don't join it knowing that there's stuff that's amiss, but rather it kind of gets there and then it's hard to get off. Do you want to talk about that a little bit more? Yeah. I, I, and again, because we've, we've talked about this before and we can link to it, I'll just give a cursory kind of response. I just think it's interesting how time, how many times the word cult has come up of late in our podcasts and has come up of late in our culture and has come up of late of, of a lot of things related to the Christian faith and, or these aberrations of the Christian faith, as I would say, these aberrations of Christian conduct. Um, I would say that both of these organizations or movements or enterprises, I mean, you fill in the blank, they had cult-like overtones, mm-hmm. uh, not classical cult-like overtones. Some of them did, but, but, but you know, they were, there was aspects of control and, and cover-up and strong charismatic leadership. And uh, it was just deeply concerning in terms of blind followership. They were cultish in terms of refusing to look at outside critiques. They were cultish in terms of entering into powerful subculture. It was cultish. Uh, unhealthy exercise of authority and control. It was cultish and using, uh, I would, I, I, using child abuse, emotional and physical and sexual to create almost zombie-like obedience and, uh, and, uh, passivity is, is cultish. I don't even want to think about what non-Christians walk away with in terms of their views of Christianity and God when they watch these. But I feel like, you mean, we have to, you have to, you have to talk about that. What, what comes to mind for you? I read a blog or I saw a blog. I didn't listen to it or as a podcast. I, 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 uh, but we'll try to get it for the notes, but I, the title was arresting to me. Um, and, uh, it was called exit music for the church. And, uh, you know, this is, this is going to be the music that people exit to, you know, here's your exit music, your cue to leave. And while that was largely directed toward those who are churched, it amplified, it's amplified even louder for the unchurched. Uh, if this makes Christians want to head to the exit signs, imagine how non-Christians are going to feel. 
And remember, these stories are going out over FX, they're going out over Amazon Prime, they're being watched, they're very popular, being talked about. I've seen articles on this in Time, Washington Post, uh, Newsweek, New, uh, New York Times. I mean, this is, this is, this, this, these are significant cultural stories, whether you're a Christian or not. And they're just walking away from so many ideas about God and the Christian faith, and all of them false. They're not, they're false in terms of Jesus. They're false in terms of authentic Christianity. But they're getting, they're walking away thinking, okay, it's all about the money. Uh, it's all about the fame. Everyone's a hypocrite. Nobody practices what they preach. There's going to be hidden sexual abuse, probably of children somewhere in, in you know, the rafters. Uh, and after a while with Mars Hill and Willow Creek and Robbie Zacharias and Jerry Falwell Jr. and Hill Songs, you feel like just everything in Christianity, at least in terms of leadership, is is suspect and um and that's 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 what they're walking away from and i think that's the non-church that they're just getting they're getting the toxic side of what is a false christianity and not authentic christian leadership and they're projecting that out onto the christian faith in as a whole mm. well i think it's also valid to talk about a christian response too because i guess something that i fear is like with these so the public nature of what happened with the duggars and and hillsong it, it it makes valid or it makes sense as to why there would be a public exposure of their deceit. Like that seems necessary. And yet I think a mistake that we could make is, is forgetting that even private sin or sin on a much smaller scale is also still egregious. Like even if it's never exposed in a docuseries. And so I, I guess I would fear that a Christian would just completely distance themselves from anything that they see because it seems so... It seems so extreme um, and think, oh, well, that is, I am nothing like that. That is just a whole different ball, you know, ballpark of, of behavior. Uh, and yet I feel like you've already exposed like several lessons that we can walk away with from these. Uh, what, what else would you want to say to help us kind of avoid that, that incorrect dichotomy, I guess? Yeah. The first pastor I ever had interaction with after I became a Christ follower I remember shared a story or just shared a little anecdote with me. I'll never forget. I, I remember to this day. Uh, he he told me he went to prison to visit uh, a former attender of the church who had made some terrible decisions and ended up behind bars. And he went to visit him in prison. And then walking away, he said he had one thought as he walked away from the prison. It wasn't how superior he felt to that person. He said his main thought was there, but by the grace of God, go I. Hmm. I'll never forget that kind of basic spiritual humility. And he was right. And it would be right of me too. <laughs> so I think that the first thing to take to heart is a humility that you're not somehow above all this. I think a lot of Christians watch this with a, with a, a sanctimonious, holier than thou, you know, see all those bad, you know, and instead of letting it just be a reflection on them, yeah. you know, and, and uh, so None of us are about this. Second, uh, don't be seduced uh, into the quick and easy way of leadership. And, 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 and here's what I mean by that. There's no doubt, and I just see this happening all over. There's no doubt that if, that if for example, if I were to go and start a church today, um, now it's been over 30 years since I planted Mac, but if I were to go and start it today and follow the way it's being done, I would set up a structure that would give me unlimited freedom. I would have unlimited control and I would have unlimited protection. Uh, just in case I would get every staff and every volunteer to sign an NDA 
And I would do it all in the name of not having the hands of leadership tied so that this church could do exactly what it needed to do. Mm. That would be akin to the temptations of Satan to Jesus in the wilderness. Mm. Hey, I'll give you everything. We'll go the easy route. You can have it all, you know, just kind of do it my way. Um, everything can be rationalized. Everything can be explained and justified. But the, in that are the seedbeds of sin and corruption and pride and power. Um, another thing I think that would be a takeaway lesson is that we need to talk about, and, and, and you've heard me talk about this on multiple occasions, individual, private, personal walks with Christ. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I wrote about this in my book, What They Didn't Teach You in Seminary. Still to this day, one of my favorite books I ever wrote. And one of the things I wrote in there is I think I had a whole chapter called uh, the, How Ministry is Spiritually Hazardous to Your Soul. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's some reasons why. It's first because you're constantly being, you're constantly, you're constantly doing spiritual things. And so it's easy to confuse those with actually being spiritual. Uh, For example, you're constantly um, in the Bible and you're studying it in order to prepare a talk or to create a class. But it's easy to confuse that with reading and studying the Bible devotionally for your own soul, independent of ever teaching it. Um, You're praying publicly in services and during meetings and, you know, dinners or whatever. And it's easy to think you're leading a life of personal private prayer. You're not. You're planning worship, you're leading worship, you're attending worship. It's easy to believe that you yourself are actually worshiping. Chances are you're not. When you're in ministry, it's just easy to confuse doing things for God with spending time with God, to confuse activity with intimacy, to mistake the trappings of spirituality for actually being spiritual. A second reason why ministry is hazardous to your soul is because you're constantly being put on a spiritual pedestal. And we talk about this on staff a lot, as you know, in staff meetings, almost annually. Uh, and when you're put on a spiritual pedestal, just because of your role, your title, people begin to treat you like you're a member of the Trinity, like you're the fourth member. Um, in truth, they have no idea whether you've spent uh, any time alone with God in reflection or prayer over the last six weeks. They don't know what you're doing online. Um, they don't know whether you're treating your spouse with tenderness and dignity. Uh, they just afford you this high level of spirituality. Now, here's where it gets really toxic. You can begin to bask in this spiritual adulation and start to believe it as true of you, believe your own press reports. And soon the estimation of others becomes your own spiritual estimation of how you are. And you begin to feel superior to others. And then that begins to lead to feeling like you're above the law and all the kinds of stuff that begins this downward spiral. And this is why most train wrecks in ministry are not sudden. They're not out of the blue. It's not, it's not a stupid mistake at 11 o'clock at night when you're on the road in a hotel bar, you know what I mean? Most leaders who end up in a moral ditch were veering off the road for some time. Their empty spiritual life simply became manifest or caught up with them or took its toll or a thousand little veers became the large one or just, you know, it just got worse and worse and worse until finally, you know, red flags went up all over the place. You can only run on empty for so long. Now I say all this confessionally. I had a defining moment on this in my life when I was around 30 years old. A well-known leader fell, a leader who had been a role model for my life. I was devastated. And more than that, I I, I remember I was scared. It scared me. It unnerved me. Because I remember thinking, oh, if it could happen to him, I'm a pushover. If it could happen to him, I mean, I'm like open target, you know. (laughs) It didn't help my anxieties that I was in a spiritual state very similar to what I just described. Mm. Uh, Confusing doing things for God and time with God, 
accepting other people's estimation of my spiritual life in a way that made it easy to bypass a true assessment of where I stood. I was like a cut flower that looked good on the outside, but would in time wilt dreadfully. I remember so clearly the awareness that I could fall and that no one um, would ever own my spiritual life but me. Mm. It was a very important realization. And that what I needed to realize is that the public side of my life was meaningless. Mm. Meaningless. Only the private side mattered. Uh, and uh, and uh, that's not often what you're taught. Right. So this was not flowing from a position of strength. It was flowing from a deep awareness of, of weakness. Uh, so the gun went off. And, and uh, you know, those close to me know that at that stage of my life, I began to rise early in the morning for prayer and to read the Bible and, and uh, faithfully, regularly. Not that I never did, but, you know, just, okay, this is, this is, this is, I've got to own this. I began to take monthly retreats to a bed and breakfast in the mountains for a more lengthy immersion in order to read devotional works and, and pray and experience silence and solitude and pursue those disciplines and journal. I entered into a two-year intensive mentoring relationship with a man who had uh, many more years on me in terms of age, marriage, and ministry, and I purposefully entered into a two-year intensive relationship with him when it was very intense. I mean, I, he, I remember we even had an agreement where he could call Susan at any time and just say, how's Jim doing in these areas or as a husband and things like that, and not in a legalistic, sin patrol way. It was, it, was, it, was a, it was a beautiful mentoring relationship that just had teeth. Yeah. And, um, and there, but there was more, but you get the idea. And I was a young man in ministry at a pivotal age and it was life altering. Uh, I just vowed I was going to be a public and a private worshiper. Um, I was going to be a student of the Bible for my talks and for my soul. I was going to pray for others to hear, but also for an audience of one. And, um, and again, I hope you hear my heart on this. It's not to boast about that. It's to confess. Mm. Uh, I have to do these things to survive. I had to do those things to survive. But, you know, I think that's the point every leader, every Christ follower does. Um, and so that was that was a, some takeaways. Well, I think it's not only that you recognize that you need to do that to survive in your relationship with God, but also as I think about, you know, all that we've talked about today and how non-Christians are walking away from this, I just think like, the whole world needs you, needs each Christian to be doing those things with God because what the whole world needs is authentic Christianity. It really needs, you know, if, if I feel like listening to this or listening to you talk feels like, oh my gosh, like this feels like such an uphill battle. It's going to be such an uphill battle for churches to try to overcome, you know, all that has been exposed and, you know, all the baggage that people are going to have, you know, moving forward about Christianity. And yet also kind of equally inspiring of like the world, like, like we we have to continue to do this or else, I mean, there's going to be a whole lot more of these. And I don't know, just, yeah, it's not just about your own relationship. It's just the world the world needs us to take our faith seriously. And yeah, Ugh. I want to say I hate this. I hope this is the last time that we have a conversation like this. I know it's not going to be, unfortunately, but um, hopefully every time we have to have this conversation, we will walk away with a more humble spirit, as you recommended, and just a reminder of how important it is for us to immerse ourselves in God. So yeah. yeah. Thanks, Jim. And thank you guys for listening. We'll be here again next week. We'll hope you tune in.